how to talk COVID with our kids on this episode of Pushback. you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny. Uh, and someday, you know, I'm going to have years to talk about other cultural aspects of our lives and the way we as Christian families are supposed to interact with culture. Uh, but for right now, we can't really move away from the current crisis that we're in. And uh, this is going to be really perhaps culture changing, life changing in a lot of ways. And my wife and I were just talking about 9-11 and how there was sort of a new normal after that. And it's going to be, I'm going to be curious to see how life changes uh, once we return to uh, uh, begin quote, end quote, normal. And we get back into life. Uh, how this current cultural crisis that we're in is going to affect us going forward. And certainly the stories that we tell our children and our grandchildren for sure. Let me give you a little bit of a COVID update. Uh, I, I've been chuckling over this last couple of weeks because things change so dramatically. And I've been working in the emergency department and, and so far in our little community uh, it hasn't impacted us much. However, we are prepared for the worst and uh, been working very hard together as teams to get ourselves prepared and our facility prepared uh, for uh, perhaps an increasing volume of patients. However, so far, so good. Uh, and things have been uh, pretty mild and mellow in our area. Uh, however, across the United States, a little bit of a different story. And, and everything that I'm reading seems to indicate that we are peaking right about now. Now, the good news about that and, and some optimism connected to that is that the death toll, the, the mortality rates that have been coming have actually been dipping uh, over this last weekend and into the early part of this week. It's a good sign that maybe we're getting over the top or over the, over the hump of that curve, but it's way too early to tell. Uh, there are task force being created uh, throughout the states uh, trying to decide how to reopen things effectively. Uh, and safely. And that's always a good sign too, that it shows that even uh, those who are watching the, st the statistics quite closely are starting to maybe see a light at the end of the tunnel. There have been 600,000 cases uh, of coronavirus across our country. Again, that's just those who have been tested and confirmed. It's most likely in the millions, uh, people who have had it, some people who have had it never even known that they've had it. Uh, there have been about 24,000 deaths at the time of this recording, uh, which is Tuesday, the day before this is being released. In the state of Minnesota, uh, we have 1,650 cases and 70 deaths. Uh, we have increased our ICU capacity, and so we're feeling uh, more prepared, uh, which, as I, as I shared in previous podcasts, is really the goal is for the healthcare workers to be prepared to care for uh, severely ill so I think we are uh, hopefully starting to turn a corner and, uh, and starting to maybe see some uh, optimistic signs. 
it's interesting as we talk about these statistics, even at home and and uh, with our children. My wife and I have been uh, talking about and trying to be careful about how much our younger children hear and understand and absorb. And today I want to talk to you about uh, COVID and our kids and the way that we talk to children, especially during a time of crisis. Now, of course, this is going to be about the current crisis that we're in, but this really would apply to any crisis, any situation where we're in, where we are feeling stressed, uh, when we are um, in the middle of something that we didn't see coming. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's a really a high chance that especially our younger children during this season uh, are probably loving this time at home. Uh, some people have been, uh, kids have been away from school, but really having quality time with parents is something that kids covet. And, and that is always going to be true. Kids will always choose to uh, be with their parents. Now, some parents may say, oh, our kids don't want to hang out with us. Uh, you, you would be wrong about that. Uh, every child actually deep down in their heart really wants to spend time with their parents and feel the affirmation uh, and, and uh, quality time together as families. So what a great opportunity, as I've shared before, that we are in right now as we hunker down together to spend time together, to enjoy each other, and, uh, and to really see uh, the, the, uh, the life that comes from enjoying one another. And so home time with parents doesn't happen very often. Uh, let's take full advantage of that. But meanwhile, uh, in the background is this crisis. And there's, of course, conversation after conversation that's taking place as people are checking, such as myself, statistics and things that are, are, um, are processing in our lives today. And how do we talk about that with our children, especially our young children, uh, to the point where their heart is protected and their mind is protected? Well, let me talk about a few things because I think the most critical aspect really in any relationship, but especially in a parent-child relationship, is the issue of tone and, and the way that we are presenting and carrying ourselves. We, uh, I've, I've had the privilege of, of delivering hundreds of babies. Prior to working in the emergency department, I was actually practicing full-scope family medicine, kind of a Doc Baker from Little House in the Prairie, doing a little bit of everything. And... Uh, I had uh, delivered hundreds of babies, and I'm always interested uh, in just family dynamics and, and the dynamics that take place uh, in a birthing room as the mother is going through labor. And I know that all my uh, female listeners will understand that doctors don't deliver babies. Uh, the mothers deliver the babies. We just catch them <laughs> and, and maybe coach you through it a little bit. But mothers do all the hard work, that is for sure. But I, in the exam room or in the delivery room, when we are there and the mother is going through active labor, as many of you know, uh, it can be somewhat of a dramatic experience. There can be loud noises. Uh, oftentimes there are machines that are hooked up for our benefit that are making beeping noises. Um, there can sometimes be blood and screaming and, and there's a lot of uh, dramatic uh, um, things that are taking place in the examination room. And I'm always interested because, you know, obviously the mother is focused on delivering the baby, but there is the father in the room and this father is trying to be attentive to his wife. Uh, and I say that trying because we really can't do a whole lot as dads. Uh, we, we try to offer support, that's for sure. Uh, but usually and almost invariably, 
as all of this is happening and all this activity is happening, especially towards the end of delivery, the, the, the husband, the father of the baby is staring at me, the doctor. And why is he doing that? He, I can feel his eyes boring in my head. And he's doing that because there's a lot going on and he's stressed and he's nervous and, and he's anxious about what's happening. And he doesn't know if all of the things that are happening in the, in the examination room is quote unquote normal. And I've learned as a physician, because I know the end from the beginning, I, I know that this is all part of the process. I've learned that in the way that I speak, in the tone, and even the way that I sit, I've learned to just be relaxed. And it diffuses the anxiety in the room as this man is staring at me because he wants to know that everything is okay. And we as parents are in a similar situation. There's a lot going on right now. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of noise. There's even a lot of uncertainty. And our children are looking at us to be the conveyors of information. And a lot of times the way that we behave, the way we speak, the way we sit, the way that we interact with our children actually conveys to them a sense of security. And so let's talk about a few things that we can do as parents beyond body language and, and staying calm and reassuring. See, my friends, we can be reassuring. We're going to get through this. And this is sometimes scary and we're hearing the statistics and, and we don't know always how to, how to respond, but we're going to get through this and we can reassure our children that they are going to be fine and, and that we need to take precautions and do the right thing, uh, but that at the end of the day, we're going to be okay. So we can be calm and reassuring in our demeanor and the way that we speak. But it's also very important that we are honest and accurate. See, children are incredibly smart. And if we think that they don't get it or that they don't really follow it or it's over their head, we're probably probably mistaken. They they absorb quite a bit and, and they are they are the information or at least the vibe that they're getting from the information, they can absorb quite quickly. I know that there's a lot of different styles, even as physicians in the emergency department, when we have a young child that comes in with a cut or a laceration or or an injury. And if I'm going to do a procedure like inject lidocaine to, to sew up a cut, a lot of times doctors will try to downplay how much it's going to hurt. And, and we try to uh, maybe minimize uh, the uh, pain that they're about to feel. Um, I tend to take a different approach. I'm not mean about it, but I'm honest and I'm accurate about what's to happen. And I've learned throughout the years that children actually respond to that so much better than being surprised uh, or, or uh, having it hurt worse than they thought it was going to. And, and there's a trust factor that takes place when we're honest and accurate with our children. So I'll tell our, our patients, well, when I inject this needle, it's going to hurt. It's going to be fast. And I'm really good at it. And I'm going to do it really fast. And it'll be over before you know it. But after the shot's done, you won't feel anything. It'll be numb. And I believe once they know that the pain is coming and that it's over going to be quickly, I, I'm honest and I'm accurate about what's to happen. There's a trust value there. And they usually are more cooperative that way. I think it's very important that we as parents uh, listen to our children. Again, they're very smart. They're very perceptive. Uh, they hear a lot of things uh, from friends and even in passing in adult conversation. And I think it's important that we don't always just speak at them, but that we actually listen to what they're thinking and what they're processing. 
It's good to even use open-ended questions like what are other people saying or what have you heard about this and hear from them about what they know or what they think that they know. It's important that we don't really at any time in parenting tell our children how to feel. Uh, we can acknowledge their real emotions and the things that they are processing inside their little bodies and, and we, can, we can instruct them on, on what is appropriate and maybe what is misguided, what is from God, uh, what is from the enemy. And, uh, and we can cater to faith and security and we can help them uh, put under their feet uh, the fear and anxiety that doesn't belong to them. I think it's very important, especially in the times that we live, that we really limit um, as much as possible, the amount of information that children are hearing. As we update and talk about this, it's very tempting to talk about cases, cases in our county, people that we know that have contracted it, and then invariably it comes to the death toll, as I just shared with you at the beginning of this podcast. We tend to talk about uh, the death toll in our state and across the country and the, the, the uh, flattening of the curve and all of these different conversations. And I would submit to you that our children don't need to absorb all of that information. It's, it's too much for little kids for them to process, especially when we're talking about death tolls and, and, and abstract numbers in that, res in that respect. I know that the numbers aren't abstract, but in their mind, they, for them to try to conceptualize uh, a rising death toll uh, can be very anxiety-provoking for children. And we as parents need to be very careful about talking about that very specific issue in front of them. We just need to be mindful uh, that they listen, uh, that they're, they have very big ears, and they listen very closely. Uh, and, and it's something that can certainly make them feel nervous uh, when we continue to talk about those things. We need to avoid the news and the social media. See, social media and, and news agencies are a business, and they use fear and histrionics to try to grab our attention. And I'm not saying that they're always inflating or uh, confabulating information, but sometimes they do. That's been proven. Uh, but, but certainly they are, they are conveying information in a way that provokes an emotional response. And our little children especially don't need to have to process that. And so parents, just be very careful if the TV is on in the background, uh, if news comes on, starts talking about death tolls and, 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 uh, and hospitals and things that are happening. Uh, we have to be uh, careful that we, that we monitor uh, that information and what's being exposed to our children. See, I believe we are living in unprecedented times, of course, just in the realm of social media. It's, I, I'm always amazed at how many young children have phones and are walking down the street uh, searching and, and conveying information. We, we get information today in, in such greater forms than was ever the case even 50 years ago. I, I heard one statistic that, that you know, we get more in one minute than somebody 50 years ago would get in a whole newspaper. Their weekly newspaper. They would only get it once a week. And we get within one minute, probably even seconds, we are processing more information. I've even shared about this pandemic that there's probably been very similar outbreaks uh, throughout the world. But back in the day, we never knew about it. Natural disasters that took place on the other side of the world, we probably would hear about it three months later in a, in a delayed newspaper feed. But now it's instant. 
Our information is instant. We know everything about everybody everywhere across the globe. And the information that we have to process, uh, I'm not so sure we were ever intended to have to process or feel responsible or feel burdened by that much information. I believe that our young people today um, un also unprecedented, unprecedentedly ha have depression and anxiety uh, in, such greater, in such great measures. We see that in my practice all the time, such young people on medications for depression and anxiety. And I believe a lot of it is that they're having to process information at such an early age beyond the maturity of their brain chemistry to process it. So we as children, uh, sorry, we as parents can actually protect our children uh, from that information overload. What's critically important for us to understand as parents is that we can actually, this can actually be a real learning moment, a teaching moment for our children because our children can actually learn how to respond to crisis from you, their parents. I've heard so many times when people excuse their behavior because they said, oh, I was just stressed out or I was, uh, I was just in the moment and I'm sorry I behaved that way. Well, I, I would argue that we are actually the most real when, when we are stressed, when, we are, um, when the, the mask that any of us can wear is actually taken off and, and our realness is exposed. And so we can actually demonstrate to our children that even during crisis, we can be authentic, we can be real, we can have peace, and we can be calm through the, through the crisis. See, our children, and this isn't probably a big newsflash for any of you, our children absorb by observing us. They, they watch us, they see what we're doing, and they actually learn and usually emulate what we are doing. They are absorbers. In fact, I'm not sure there's a time in our lifespan where we are such greater, great absorbers than when we are young. It's been proven that children can learn multiple languages so much easier when they're kids. It's because they absorb, their brains are like sponges and they can absorb things so quickly. And they're also perceivers. And so kids can sense things in a room when parents are, are anxious, afraid, mad, joyful. They can sense these emotions in the room quite well. And so they're watching you. And if you feel scared, they're going to feel scared. And so it's a real opportunity for us to allow the Holy Spirit to even examine ourselves and find out how we respond in crisis. And sometimes that can be a good litmus test. Litmus test. And also sobering, knowing that our children are watching us and learning how to manage crisis. We need to be like the doctor in the birthing room, relaxed and calm, knowing that God is in control. They're also watching us how we respond to crisis, how we talk about our leaders, for instance. We talk so many times about in this podcast about honor and the way that we speak about each other. What a great opportunity to talk to our children about honoring our leaders as they are trying to navigate us through a very difficult time uh, like, a, like we've never seen before. Are they going to do it perfectly? No, and it's okay to talk about that but we can do it with respect and honor. And, and this is the time where the absorbers, our young children, are learning how to respond and how to even respond to leadership. But maybe even important, more importantly, how we talk about God. See, theology really matters. And, and sometimes crisis is the greatest opportunity to really check our own theology and really what, what we believe. 
Is God the one who saves us or is he the one that afflicts us? Does he send viruses to teach us a lesson and to punish us? Or did he actually send his son to actually bear our infirmities? See, it, it's a challenge to us, even in the way that we believe. What about death and dying? As we talk about death tolls and, and maybe even hearing of loved ones who have succumbed to this virus, our children are, are paying attention to those things. How do we feel about death and dying? See, Paul says, you know, for me to live as Christ, for me to die is gain. He understood that in death there was actually a promotional experience that takes place. But we are here on this earth because of Christ, and he has work for us to do. And, and what a great opportunity to tell our children that they're born with purpose. And because of Christ, they are here on this earth to live a full, effective, purposeful life. And, and when they die and have given their heart to Jesus, the Bible says that death has no sting. Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's, it's, it's done. We've already, we've already been crucified. We are crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live, but Christ who lives within us. We've already been on the cross, died with him, and resurrected with him. We were co-crucified. We are co-resurrected, and now we are co-heirs. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh, uh, saving knowledge of grace that, that he's given us to actually uh, understand the why we're here and, and the fact that everlasting life has already taken place. When you've given your heart to Jesus, we already live forever. What's critically important for us to understand as parents is that we can actually this can actually be a real learning moment, a teaching moment. So we can even talk about death and dying from, from a, a positive perspective in the fact that Jesus, Jesus took away the sting of death and our spirit lives with him forever, for eternity. What a great opportunity, even through crisis, to talk about the goodness of God. He is good and he is good all the time. He doesn't send viruses to hurt us and destroy us. He, he sends his son to save us. It's the enemy that wants to kill and destroy. That's his job description. And there is nothing that can separate us from his love. What a great opportunity to talk to your children about health, nutrition, hygiene, fitness. As we talk about, you know, hand washing and taking care of our bodies and, and we can discuss with them what an immune system does. If you are homeschooled or now you're forced to homeschool, what a, just start investigating our immune system. What a testament to an all-powerful, miraculous God. Our immune system is amazing. It's amazing. It can't be explained by random chance evolution. It's a, it's a design by a masterful hand. Just our immune system alone will put you in awe and your children will be amazed at the glory of God. And finally, crisis, when we go through hard times, it's a great opportunity to talk to your children how they can make a difference, how they can help. We are physically isolating ourselves, but we don't have to be an isolated person. We don't have to turn inward. What a great opportunity to teach and to demonstrate your children how to turn your heart outward and to help others through this difficult time. What can your children do? to help others, whether it's writing a letter, sending a video, baking something in the kitchen for someone. There are so many things that children can do to start thinking outside of their own little world 
and start thinking about others, especially in the crisis and people who are going through hard times. This is a great opportunity. We've said this so, so often in this podcast to show and to demonstrate our children how to navigate through hard times. We all have hard times. We've all, we all, and we all, all are currently going through a difficult time, but we as parents have the incredible privilege to help navigate our children through these crises. I want to bring to your attention uh, some series of children's books that my mother-in-law have has written. My mother-in-law is uh, has her a master's in zoology, and she loves creation. Uh, she loves nature, and and she has written a series of children's books uh, about the goodness and the glory of God, His hand in creation. But remember, we talked about theology and having good theology and teaching our children correctly about the love and the honor of God. She has a series of books, Little Seeds Destiny, Little Caterpillar's Journey, Little Salmon Comes Home, Little Lamb Follows the Shepherd, and Little Tommy Celebrates the Fourth of July. Each of these also comes with a Bible study for children and a teacher's guide uh, with coloring pages and sheets. Uh, it's a remarkable opportunity to connect with your children, talk about the love of, of the Father. Uh, and during this time of hunkering down and spending time together, what a, what a great way to share quality time with your children. So just go to gofam.org uh, and you can order these resources as well as many of our other resources uh, uh, for your benefit. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now let's go together and set the culture.